welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. Well, it's good to be with you here this morning, and uh, we're here to just look to God's Word, and we're going to be looking at John chapter 4 today, so if you have a Bible, uh, you can turn there. Uh, if you have a, a notes, you can look in the bulletin today, as well as our Version Bible app has uh, the notes that are there for you. If you click on that, if you go to the, the section where it says more, and then click on events after that, you'll find our church there. You can look at the notes and the scripture passages today, and today... We're going to continue on with the signs that John, the gospel writer, is going to be bringing out today. And this week we're on uh, the second sign, and I've titled the message, Desperate Times. And this is a desperate situation that uh, a man is going to be facing in this passage of Scripture. And, uh, you know, if you know about the word desperate, you know, there are many different ways to look at desperation. If you've been in a, or if you watched a football game before, uh, and you've seen a team that is needing to, uh, you know, score in the final seconds, and you know a field goal isn't going to be enough points, but they need a touchdown, and they got to throw a hail mary. They call that the desperation throw, right? Because it's just hoping and praying that their teammate will catch it in the end zone and they win the game. And most of the time, it doesn't happen, but there is that small glimpse of hope that they will catch it in the end zone. And um, there are many. Desperate, de- desperate situations. I, you know, thinking of uh, things that have happened in my life that were desperate. You know, I've, I grew up in a, a church where they had a school, and it was, uh, you know, a part of the building of the church that had the school inside. And you know, um, I'm not a big science person. Uh, if you're a science person, I'm not trying to offend you. I'm just saying it just, just in- interests me as much. But uh, I loved going to science class simply because there was always a new creature in that room, right? It was always like something different inside that room, right? It was either a snake or some kind of hamster or whatever. And uh, one particular day, I got to see something I have never seen before as a child, and it was a tarantula, right? And it was such an amazing thing. Um, But I hate spiders. Anybody out there that just doesn't like spiders, right? However, I will turn into the Incredible Hulk, and I will destroy that thing if I see that thing in my house, right? I mean, if anybody out there is just, you will bring down the hammer on that little thing. It doesn't matter, right? And uh, so this, this, this tarantula, he was real cool. And I remember our teacher would usually bring, bring these things in, and about a week, she would switch it out with something else. And I remember having this, uh, this tarantula in our classroom. And then the next day, uh, I believe it was on a Tuesday, she, we walked into the classroom, and the tarantula was gone. And I was like, well, okay, well, maybe she just took it home. Uh, no, come to find out, the tarantula had escaped. And we had, remember, remember, we had a school inside the church, okay? So uh, we, we didn't know where the tarantula was, and we didn't find that tarantula for several days. In fact, it almost made it to a Sunday morning service, okay? Um, it was found on a Saturday by one of our, by our church custodian in the middle aisle, right? He was coming to worship God, I guess, and so lay, lay his burdens down at the, at the cross or something, I don't know. But he, he got caught inside the, inside the sanctuary, and it was, you know, he was probably desperate, right, because he just took off. And so, but I just remember that whole week, 
everybody was looking everywhere. We were all desperate to find this tarantula because it's not the nicest looking thing in the world. Um, and, so, and so we finally found him. But, that, that, but the, the distance of that tarantula, how he traveled, it was a large building. Okay, so this is how far he had to travel. He had to go out of the classroom, down two flights of stairs. He had to go through one of the lobbies. He had to go into the church gymnasium, okay, and run across the church gymnasium. He then had to go through church office hallway. Then he had to go through the other lobby that we had. And then he finally made it into the sanctuary. He was desperate for Jesus. I truly believe that, right? I mean, he was willing to go that far, right? And so we caught him, and, and uh, I, I doubt he's alive today. But, um, um, but yeah, that was a, I remember that whole week, everybody was just stressing out, all the teachers and the principal, they were all stressing out, trying to find that tarantula. It was a desperate week for everybody. And so uh, today, we're going to be talking about a man in the Scripture who's facing a very desperate situation, a rather serious situation in John chapter 4. And uh, we're going to look at these these things that Jesus does in the middle of a desperate situation. And so, if you have a Bible, it's in John chapter 4. To provide some background to this point in John chapter 4, Jesus had made himself known, as we talked last week, about changing water into wine. He does that in a place called Cana. Cana is a very small village in the, in the area, the region of Galilee. Um, and so he, he does this, and then he starts to experience great success and another region, which is Samaria, where he ministers to a woman at the well. And, and because of this, she, her life has changed. She ends up going into her village. They come out and hear Jesus. Their lives are changed, and they want Jesus to spend some time with them. And so he does that, and then we find him going now back to Cana. We, fit, we find out he's going back to Cana, and there's a particular situation that is desperate for this man. But Jesus does completely... Some, he does something completely unexpected, and it's going to change this man's life. The first one is this, is that um, there's two facts that I want to bring out in this passage today. The first one is Jesus is compassionate towards you. In John chapter 4, verse 43, it says this, After, Jesus, after the two days he left for Galilee, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all they had done in Jerusalem, the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana and Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine, and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. And this morning, as we look at this, so let's unpack what this scripture, what do I mean by Jesus being compassionate? Um, but it's, it's kind of an interesting, ironic statement that is made by John, the gospel writer, because he's wanting to bring something out. He says Jesus has spoken about not being welcomed in his hometown, in his home country. Jesus uh, grew up in Galilee, right? He, he, he was a part of that area, that region. And so John makes that statement about Jesus. And then what does it say? They welcomed him into Galilee, right? So it's like, okay, is he welcome or is he not welcome? Like, it feels like there's a contradiction. But what John is actually going to point out is the very next scripture passage. It says, because they had seen him perform these miracles, these things in, in, in Jerusalem, they have seen Jesus do these things. I mean, they're in Cana as well. So 
they have seen Jesus perform miracles. So what is John bringing out? John is bringing out the very fact that these people are not interested in who Jesus is. They're interested in what he can do for them, right? That's all. And Jesus is going to bring something out in order to show them that it's more than just the miracles. It's something different that he wants to do. He wants to transform the, uh, their lives. So the question is, are we interested in Jesus or are we interested in his miracles? The, and, and then it's kind of funny because I always think of, you know, when I think about that, I, I thought of Aladdin. If you've seen the cartoon and the genie, right, in that, in that thing, you have the genie show up and it's like, poof, what do you need? Poof, what do you need? Poof, what do you need? Right? You hear that statement in that movie? You know, I kind of think that's, that, that's how they're treating Jesus. They're like, poof, Jesus, we need you now, right? And you like, expect him to show up on the scene and, and to do something. Grant my wishes now, right? That's kind of what, this is, what is happening, is that they just want Jesus to do something for them. They don't want Jesus to do anything in them. They don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. They don't believe in who he came to claim to be. And so this is such a, an important thing. And now he finds a, a man you know, that is experiencing a very desperate situation. However, Jesus is going to talk to them about not just the miracles, but more than that, right? Have you ever had somebody that, um, you know, you seem like they like you, but then you start to hang out with them a little bit, and it's more about what they can get out of you, right, or get from you? Have you ever experienced that? If you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? It's like, yeah, I love you, mom and dad, but really, I want this, right? I'm learning about this, right? So my son, I, I sit on the couch, and he comes up to me all the time, and, you know, he gets right next to me, and he leans on my shoulder, and he's just, you know, looking at me with those puppy eyes, and, and I'm thinking, oh, this is so, this is so wonderful. He's probably going to tell me, Daddy, I love you. And, and then he says to me, Daddy, and I'm like, yes, son. He says, snack. <laughs> like, oh, I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to pull a fast one, right? He wants, he wants a snack, and more specifically, something that has a lot of sugar in it, right? Of course. And so, you know, Sometimes that's how I, you know, I feel like, does he really love me or does he just want something from me, right? You got to figure out that situation. And so often we do that, you know, we can do that in a way with, with God. It's like, yeah, I'm coming to you only because I want something from you though, right? That's, that's, that happens. And so Jesus is going to talk about how to work through this, how to be compassionate to these people. And so he, he, he encounters a royal official. We believe that he is part of uh, Herod Antipas, his, his uh, group of people. He works for Herod Antipas. If you don't know anything about Herod Antipas, if you hear about a man named John the Baptist, uh, Herod Antipas was the one that gave the authority to behead John the Baptist. So Herod is not the nicest guy in the world. And so this royal official has to work for him. And so he's doing business. He experiences a bad situation with his son. His boy is sick, and he, it's, it's probably going to kill him. And so, as we can see, he's very desperate. And so now, he is in Capernaum, and he wants Jesus to go back to Capernaum. That's a 20-mile journey from Cana to where Capernaum is. So it's not a short distance. It's not like he can get in his car and drive. He's got to walk. And so it's a long-distant travel, basically, is what he's requesting Jesus to do. So he comes and finds Jesus. He asks for a healing. And then Jesus starts to read their hearts. And, and it's so interesting to me, how Jesus cared about this town, right? He cared about Jerusalem, but he also carried, cared about the small town. This is Cana. This is not very big, and, and it's a small village. And so, and you know, I learned some things about small places. When I was 
uh, in Bible school in Springfield, and there was a town, Pastor Paul and Chris used to live there, Ashgrove, Missouri, right? And it's a very small town. It's not a lot of people. There's about a little over a thousand people, I think. It's not very big. Everybody kind of goes to the same school. They all kind of know each other. And I remember helping out uh, in this church. And the, the funny thing is, Springfield is loaded with churches, and it's massive churches, right? There are some big churches there. And, you know, I was just there a couple of days ago for my brother's wedding, and I was driving down the highway, and there was this one church if, uh, on this highway. It was, if you've seen maybe uh, Mountain Christian's church on Mountain Road, that kind of size of a church, that there was one right there. Across from that highway, there was one that was bigger than that. And then there's another one that is considered to be the mega church, which is an Assembly of God church, James River, who is now going to be planting a church just a few, uh, about a half a mile, a mile down. These places are huge, right? It's like, wow. And so as a person going into that, I'm thinking, I, I want to kind of see how this works, like that kind of stuff. And then it's not bad. I don't think big churches are bad. I think it's great. And so I wanted to, being a freshman and sophomore in college, I wanted to go and kind of be involved and, and be a part of that. And so then I started dating my, my, my wife now, Amber, and we started dating. And, and so we're like, well, we should probably, you know, serve together in a church. And so we were looking at a churches to go to, and, and uh, we had remembered her youth pastor growing up in Indiana had moved to Ashgrove, Missouri, right, right outside of Springfield. It's a very small town, and there was a church there that he was working at. It was like 150 people, and so I went there, and, and we served there, and I can tell you this. I learned so much in youth ministry about that place that, that, than I ever learned in my entire life when it came to youth ministry. I never knew that you could have sermons on hygiene, Right? I never knew that. I never knew that you could have sermons when it came to brushing your teeth. Like, these things, I mean, it was just a rough, kind of rough group of individuals. I mean, you would walk into that sanctuary, and you would immediately want to turn around because of the stench, right? And if, if you had some middle schoolers in your life, maybe you've had to teach them how to shower, right? And, you know, and stuff like that. And, uh, I, you know, I was, I'm sure I, I stink when I was in middle school, too. And I had to learn to, to bathe, right, and to do all that personal hygiene, but I just never considered to have a sermon preached on those kinds of topics. It was quite humorous. But, um, but I learned a lot in that church. I learned so much about how to deal with certain situations. And a lot of these kids are, are coming from broken homes. A lot of these kids just felt like they were nobody. They were just a town that was outside of the big city. That's what they just felt like. They didn't feel like they didn't have much worth. And so I can imagine Jesus walking into a small town like this and they see somebody like Jesus walking into their town, and they flock to him. Because why? Because they've seen the miracle. And they've seen many things happen. And so it wouldn't be such a, you know, it would be easy to know Jesus was coming to your town. Because there's not much to do, right? It's very small. And so they show up, and they want Jesus to do things for them. But yet, Jesus had to, had to redirect the way they thought of him. And because Jesus wants to do the miracle, but he wants to do more than that. And it's such a, an important thing. And so when he shows up, he makes a statement to the man. You're like, how does he show compassion by the statement that he makes back? Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. What is so compassionate? You know, but you have to ask the question, though, why does he go back to Cana? Why? What was so important? You remember, he's, he's Jesus. He's God in flesh. He knows their motives, Right? He knows why they're flocking to him. They're not flocking to him because they like him. They're flocking to him because they know what he can do, right? So 
My question was, why did he go back to Cana when he knew their motivation? It's a very interesting thing, right? To think about is, why would Jesus do that? And why would Jesus show compassion? What, I would say this, it's very encouraging to know that Jesus is still willing to show compassion and work in your situation, even if you have the wrong motive. He's still willing to do something. He still wants to. He still has a desire to, to do something about the situation you're facing. However, he needs to maybe redirect your motivation and what, you, what you're really trying to do, what you're really trying to accomplish. I think it's fascinating to know the intentions of people, but yet show compassion anyway. How does he do that? Well, first off, he has to call out their motivation. Why are they really coming to you? Or why are they really coming to me? He says it plainly. You're only liking me because of what I can do for you. But I'm here to show you what I can do inside of each and every one of you. And even though he speaks to a man, he's speaking to the audience that's there. And this is such an important thing for, for, for every single person to know is that Jesus can work in a situation even if you have the wrong motives. He can still do that. He's still compassionate. He still loves you. And he still cares about your situation. And so it, it, is, it is encouraging to know that even in desperate times, Jesus can make progress even if you have the wrong motives. This is an um, encouraging thought. The next part he goes into is, is this. Jesus can do more than you expected. In John chapter 4, verses 49 through 54, he says this. He says, The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had, to, had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea into Galilee. I think this is so important because we read over it real quick and we don't recognize the, the word that the man says. Now, we don't know every motivation behind this man as to why he's coming. We know he's desperate. We know his boy is deathly ill and he's willing to do anything, in, uh, anything to, to have a, this situation be resolved. So he goes and finds Jesus, right? And this is what he, he hears Jesus make that statement. But this is what I believe. I would suggest to you this, that Jesus came to that town because even though he knew the motivation, he knew there was someone who was still willing to believe even if they had the wrong motive. He was looking for that one person that would actually believe even though they had the wrong motivation, that were still willing to lay down their motives and say, even though this is my motive, I will lay that down and I will trust you. And what does he say? What is so important is he uses the word, sir. He uses that word, sir. Now, you read the next part of that statement, come down with me. It sounds like he's being demanding. No, he's talking geographically because it's like me going to Florida. I wouldn't say I'm going to Florida or going up to Florida, right? I would be saying I'm going down to Florida, right? Because it's geographically. That's what we're talking about. Now, some of us may be wishing right now with the rain that we're in Florida, right? But that's not the point right now. The issue is this man is not necessarily being too demanding in a sense where he's being, uh, getting aggravated. He's just pointing out geographically where they are. But he uses a very important word, sir. It's a, I mean, he works for 
a man like Herod Antipas, so he would know when he uses that word, that is talking about authority. He's given that authority. He's saying, Jesus or sir, I am trusting you with your authority. And in fact, he trusts him so much, you know, he, he accepts the word even though it wasn't his preference. Have you ever gone to a restaurant before and maybe asked the, the, the waiter or the waitress, you know, what, what would you recommend, right? Or been through a drive-thru and you get your food and maybe you get home and you whip out the food and you realize this is not what I ordered, right? Have you ever been there? And that just ruins your whole day, right? It's like, come on. And we, I mean, we have so many preferences now too. It's like build your own burger, right? It's like, yes, I would like the cheese, hold the tomato and the onion, and bring on the barbecue sauce and whatever else you decide to do it because it's build your own burger, right? We have so many specifics that, you know, they're, and they're meeting the demands of the customer. I understand that. But it's just funny how, how getting the order wrong can frustrate somebody so much. It happened to me recently. I was, I was uh, I'm not going to, okay, Taco Bell messed up my order. And so, you know, <laughs> I was... I went through the drive-thru, and I got my food, and I went, and, you know, I told him to hold the sauce because my son doesn't like spicy food, and I didn't want to give him that, and so I opened it up, and the spicy sauce is on there, and I'm like, and so it's just, like, ruined, and now I got to go through another drive-thru and find something else that he will eat, right, and so it can just ruin your whole day. As you can tell, I have prayed and asked God to help me through that situation, so, and he has, Um, but it can just ruin everything because it's not what you ordered, right? It's not your preference, right? And this man is willing to, to have a preference, but also willing to lay that preference down. And that is the point that is so critical, is that you can pray your preferences. God's not opposed to that. Jesus doesn't get mad at his preferences. However, Jesus gives him something different. He's not going to make the 20-mile journey. He's going to say, go, your son will live. That's all the man had to go on was his phrase, go, your son will live. That's it. How many know that's not really, like, that, I mean, when it's your child and it's your boy, like, that's not a whole lot to go off of, right? It's like, I'm going to need a little bit more than that. Like, okay, tell me where you're going to be in the next 24 hours, because if it doesn't work, I'm coming to find you, right? And so it's like, how do I trust that phrase? But he realizes something. He recognizes the authority He's pushing through, even though he has the wrong, maybe the wrong motive behind that. He's pushing through that, and he's going to believe and trust him at his word. And that's so important, that when you pray and ask God for things, it's okay to lay out your preferences. Jesus laid out his preference when he was going to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, if this cup could pass, let it pass. If there's another way for people to be forgiven and for their sins to be forgiven, and I don't have to go to the cross. I'll, I'll, let's take, that, let's take that, that option. That option sounds a lot better, probably, than going to the cross. But he laid down his preference, right? He said, hey, but not my will, your will, right? This is a, another similar part, is that he has a preference, but he lays that preference down. And so when we pray and ask God for things to happen in our life, regardless of your motivation behind it, the, the question is, will you accept his word over your own way? That's the, that's the question. Because I know when I go to the Lord and I ask for things, and pretty much 
it feels like majority of the time I ask God to do something in a situation or help me with something, it's like God does oh, think, things not 100% of what I've said, barely. It's a lot of times it's just the opposite, a lot of times of what I'm wanting, right? And so I'm, I'm learning how to submit my preference. I'm learning that. I'm still learning that. How do I submit my preference and the way I want to do things to his way? You know, and there's a lot of times where I'll be praying, asking God, and I'll be saying, God, what about this? And God will bring a scripture passage. It'll just flash across my mind, and I'm, sometimes I don't recognize it at first, but then I realize, oh, maybe that's the Lord speaking to me. There are times where a song may come right across, you know, my brain, and I'll just have it in my heart, and I'll be like, oh, maybe that's the Lord speaking to me. And sometimes he says nothing, and I'm like, you got nothing for me today? But now I'm starting to learn more about this. That even when he says nothing, I know at some point, maybe during the day, he's going to show me. Because maybe it's not him verbally telling me. It's, no, I want to show you. Not just tell you. I want to show you how I'm going to answer. And, it, and so it keeps my mind focused on throughout the day where the activity of God is. I'm learning this. It's so amazing as you continuously do that. Because, listen, Jesus wants to do more than you've ever expected. He came for a miracle, but he got so much more than that. Jesus wants to do stuff for us. He does. But he also wants to transform you in that situation too. It's more than just doing things for you. He wants to transform you in that situation. He wants to change your perspective on things. He wants to teach you some things that maybe you've just believed, but they're not true. And God wants to change that perspective. And he wants to meet and wants to do the miracle. But even more than that, he wants to transform maybe a perspective or he wants to transform your very life. It's important to know that will you basically ask the question, will I trust his word over my preference? Will I trust it? And it's not a whole lot to go off of at times. You know, it's not a whole lot to go off of when I see a passage of scripture go across my mind. It's not a whole lot, right? It's like, I'm going to need more than that, right? But then I'm learning how to say, that's, that's enough. That's enough. Because his word holds authority. And I'll trust it. And if, even if it's not the way I want to do it, I know that he wants to do more than I've ever expected. Because you can't outthink God and you can't outdream God. You can't do it. And so it's so important to know that God wants to answer, but we have to lay down our preferences. And he wants to do more than we've ever expected. And God will answer prayers even at a distance. This is, what this ha- this is how it happens. I mean, it's such an amazing thing that Jesus can meet a need even though you're not there. Jesus can answer. This is why we say pray. We pray for people on a Wednesday night, you know, and we say, God, can you re- help us reach these people? You know, we, they need you. They need help, right? They need your love. They need us to show up. They need us to show your grace, to show your love so that we can point them to God. We can point them to the Father. And, you know, I believe in personal prayer. I believe in being a prayer word by myself, but I also believe in corporate prayer because, listen, a warrior can't build a kingdom by himself. He can't build a kingdom by himself in his home. It takes warriors, plural, to build a kingdom. And we're we're called to build his kingdom. And if you're going to build his kingdom, how important is it to be in corporate prayer together? If you're going to build it, because we're warriors, but we also have a king, Right? So we need the king of kings to show up and help us. This is why corporate prayer is so important. Yes, private times with the Lord are important. But even more important, too, 
is corporate prayer. Because if you're going to build his kingdom, you can't just do it all by yourself. We need each other. We need every single person. And this is why it's so critical when it comes to building the kingdom of God that we do this together. And so when we, when we look at this whole story, you know, this man, as I close with a couple of these things about the man here, it says he meets some servants on the way. And it's so important to notice this, that it says he receives the report, but then the man says, when does it happen? And it happened yesterday. If you had a boy that was deathly ill, somebody that you love and care about deeply, and you would want to get there as quickly as possible, right? I mean, this guy could make it in a day. He could. If he was booking it, he would make it. But he waits. It turns from a desperate situation to kind of like a peaceful situation. Like he's, he's okay with the answer. And he trusts God. Because you know why? He traded his worry and anxiety for God's peace. We, we will say we'll trade that, but will we really trade that? Because a lot of times it's stuff we can't control, right? It's, I don't want to trust, but listen, trade your worry and anxiety for God's peace. This is what the man did. He traded that. Because God wanted to do more than just take his worry and anxiety away He wanted to do more than just a miracle. He wanted to transform this man's life and his entire household. And it just, he was looking for that one person to believe. And somebody did. And his whole household was saved. That's not just the the people like his spouse and his kids. That's people who worked within his home. Because they would have that. It says he had servants come. That would change his servant's life. And it says he inquired all of this information and he shared with them what happened. He shared with them. This is why it's so important, whether if you're a parent, this is so important to take responsibility for your household, for their spiritual journey. That if we think it's important to be in church, if we think it's important to serve in the church, if we think it's important to pray, if we think it's important to read God's word, if we think it's important to share our faith, then are we modeling it in front of our children? Are we modeling it? Because they'll hear you talk, but they want to see you do it. Do you want your kids to worship in a service? Well, how are you modeling that in a service? Do you, do you, do you pray with your kids at home because they want to hear you pray? Well, I just feel uncomfortable. Listen, it's okay. God doesn't call you to be invincible. He calls you to be a human, Right? And there will be plenty of things that you do with poor God that will be very uncomfortable. And it's important as a family that they observe that. I don't, whether they're in your household right now or not, if they're grown up, so be it. But you can still find ways to model what the Word of God tells us about the importance of accepting God's Word over your preferences, about recognizing He's compassionate even to people who, who have the wrong motives. It's important that your family sees that from you as a dad, as a mom, as a grandparent, whatever whatever household you're in right now. If they're out of the house, listen, there's still ways that you can model that. Send them a text message. Send them something. I don't know. Call them. Figure out a way. There are, there are ways that God wants to work in your situation, in your life, 
But can I just say to you, God wants to do more than you've ever dreamed was possible. This is what this man encountered. He realized it was more than just a miracle. It was a transformation in his life and his entire household. That's what Jesus wanted to do. And that's such a beautiful thing to see God do more than as the scripture says, more than you can ever ask or imagine, right? This man was asking for a miracle. What he got in return was a miracle on top of transformation. God gave more than what he was asking for. But the point is, we have to submit our preferences to the Lord. We have to submit our feelings about how we want things to be done to the Lord because he wants to give you peace in the midst of that storm. Whether you're in a desperate situation right now or you know somebody's in a desperate situation, God wants to transfer his peace into that situation. And like this man, he wanted God to answer, but at some point he had to get out of the way. He had His preference had to get out of the way. And that's what happened. When he got out of the way with his preference, God was able to work in his situation. Sometimes that's what we got to do. Sometimes that's what I got to do is, yeah, I have a preference, but now I need to get out of the way because I feel the Lord speaking and I feel the Lord's leading and I'm just going to take him at his word. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to take him at his word and trust it and believe in it. And that's what he's calling each and every one of us to do this morning. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. If you're here today and you would like to experience this life transformation, it can only be found in Jesus Christ. It can't be found in anyone else. It can't be found in you. It can't be found in me. It can't be found in anybody in this room or anybody in this world. Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way. And if you're here this morning and you would like to receive Jesus, we have a connect card that we've brought up before. And in that connect card, it tells you on there that if you would like to receive Jesus, you can check off that box in there and hand that connect card in today let us know that you've made that decision in your mind and your heart right now before you leave today. If you're here today and you need anything from, you know, from us as far as you need somebody to pray with you, to agree with and prayer with you over a situation, maybe it's a desperate situation as this person in the scripture today has experienced, as this royal official experienced. God cared about the poor, but God cared about a royal official too. He cares about everybody. He cares about the most powerful man in the world, and he cares about the most least person in the entire world. He cares about everybody, not just a select few. That's the beauty of our God, is that he loves everyone. If you're here today and you want prayer, we have a prayer team, if they can make their way forward at this time. And as we sing this together as a church, as we close out with this time of worship, I encourage you, if you need prayer, come during this time to pray. And these people will pray with you, prayers of faith, and we'll just, we'll just believe God for the impossible. And maybe you just need that today. Maybe you need somebody to help speak life into a situation. And God wants to pray something into your life today. Would you come and join these prayer teams up here? And the rest of us, church, let's just begin to sing this song together as the team leads us.